0: Hey everyone, Abu here with a small note before you start this episode. You're about to listen to part one of a two-part Fremen conversation. Leo and I ended up having way more to say than we thought we would about the Fremen and their history and their place in the Dune universe, so we broke it up into two easy-to-digest episodes.
1: All right, here's the episode. Today on the show, we just got back from the Siege orgy. We're a little high on spice. And we're in the mood for some pillow talk.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu.
1: And my name's Leo. And Leo, we're finally doing it. Oh my God. We're talking about the
0: Fremen today. We've
1: talked about this episode offline so many times, and to be frank, it's intimidating because there's a lot to say about the Fremen. And before I say too much, because there's there's just a lot of things, I want to make sure I don't accidentally say before a disclaimer. Right, right. This is going to be a very spoiler heavy yeah. episode up through about God Emperor of Dune. So this is the first like four novels of Frank Herbert's uh, original book series. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty important to note that right now, just because. Some of what we talk about will absolutely spoil a first watching or reading of Dune. So 100% be aware, if you haven't read through about God Emperor of Dune, know that we are talking about some things that will probably impact that experience.
0: Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm glad you said that right off the bat. I was just thinking that too. Like I was afraid to say anything more about the Fremen in the intro, because <laughs> anything we we say today is gonna probably going to be a massive spoiler. Uh, so be warned, but if you're a big Dune fan like us, or if you're rereading the novels and you need a refresher, today's episode is all about the Fremen. Yeah, it's all about. The Zensuni migration, something that's mentioned multiple times yeah. in the novels and uh, literally never explained,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? In classic Frank Herbert style, <laughs> exactly mentioned hundreds of times, <laughs> not even remotely explored,
0: <laughs> right? So that's what we're going to do today. Luckily, the yeah. Dune Encyclopedia goes to great lengths to explore the Zensuni migration. We're going to touch on that. We're going to get into who the Zensuni are, their culture, how they tie into the Fremen. And then we're going to talk about the rise and fall of the Fremen, which I think is really interesting and tragic and extreme and a lot of other adjectives that um, we'll, we'll touch on today. But super interesting stuff. I've personally been looking forward right. to this episode for a while because the Fremen are so integral to the story, right? The Fremen are intrinsically yeah. di- like tied with arrakis with dune and with the fate of the atreides totally with paul's rise to power and uh you know ultimately his fall like none of that is possible (laughs) none of the history of dune and arrakis is possible without the fremen they're so integral to the universe and to this story so i was excited to to actually get into it today
1: Yo, jessica and paul would have just died in the desert (laughs) eaten by sandworms like 100 percent end of the story dune Uh, 200 pages long, done. (laughs) The other thing that I'll say about today's episode before we dive into specifics is we are going to be saying, talking about a lot, that even having read as much as I have, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then this is maybe a theme with our podcast (laughs) where we're like, Uncovering these vast depths that don't necessarily exist. Yeah, the
0: character arc for us in this podcast is actually realizing how little we know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, it's sort of a spiritual journey, right? Um, the other thing that's worth mentioning about today's episode in particular, we cannot cover everything that there is to cover. No, about the Zensuni, and I want to stress the encyclopedia. Yeah, it's got like forty pages on the fremen culture
0: N- not an overstatement
1: not literally quite possibly an understatement I, it might be more than that there's there's an entire <laughs> chapter on fremen textiles Yep. there's an entire there's like a three-page section on fremen menstruation
0: a three-page two-column <laughs> section
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> two columns <laughs> this is not your granddad's single column page this is no, dense, no, no, no. very information dense as well very little fluff. And we, we, we just simply can't talk about all of that. But I think looking at today's topic and looking at what we're going to talk about, I think what we've done, and a lot of this was your work, Abu, is we've successfully taken this massive journey and kind of boiled it down to a really interesting arc that highlights why they are the way they are you know
0: if you're looking for a super deep dive into the fremen this episode might not be it but we're trying gonna try and follow some sort of logical arc of, of their history and culture we're just doing our
1: best man we're just doing
0: our best yeah this is a long-winded way of saying what the fuck do you expect of us <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah
0: we have an hour
1: <laughs> so okay all of the zen sunni the Freeman, everything the whole arc boiled down what would you say is the like theme that you that you sort of took away from all of your research?
0: I, I think the theme, and we're we're gonna touch on this at the end of the episode, is manipulation. Yeah. Plain yeah. and simple. If I could say it in just one word, the entire history of the Zensuni slash Fremen was manipulation. They were manipulated from the, the first pages of dune history at least recorded in the encyclopedia right A- and they continue to be manipulated until quite literally they go extinct under under the reign of leto the second and that that is something we want uh, our, our listeners to keep in mind here think about the way the Zensuni culture is shaped by outside forces by by this manipulation
1: and inside manipulation like I am baffled at the amount of internal, and I will say, yeah, the Friman people, like the mass populace, is 100% manipulated by forces. But sometimes those forces come from within their own organization. And that's another theme that I see evolving in Dune. The more I learn about it and the more I look at it, whether it's the Benny Gesserit or Paul's vision of the Golden Path and his avoidance of it, Leto II's, grand plan of becoming the tyrant, et cetera, et cetera, seeing all of these threads of people pulling strings, it's then a little bit shocking to see who I thought was purely victim, you know, the, the, the Zinsuni people as purely victims, seeing their Sayyidinas manipulating them pretty early on in their history and manipulating their narrative mm-hmm. to draw out a sort of cultural power is surprising. But God, you were so, yeah, spot on. Manipulation is a great theme for, for the Freeman people. It's also just extreme, right? Like, nothing nothing about the Zinsuni journey <laughs> and the Freeman people is like vanilla, easy peasy, lemon squeezy.
0: No, no th- these people <laughs> live on the extremities. Yes.
1: there's a reason in one-on-one combat that Freeman can kill Sarnikar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's not a coincidence. This isn't like, well, whoops. This is like a byproduct of... Their journey and their path. Yeah. So let's talk about their origins. Yeah, let's talk about their roots. Where'd they come from?
0: Yeah. So having having set up that theme, let let's get into the Zensuni. Who are they? Yeah. So let's go let's go back in time, tens of thousands of years before the do novel, the first do novel.
1: As we always do, sure.
0: As we always <laughs> do, of course. uh And let's visit old Terra. Oh, heard of it. Which yeah. is might might be a planet. Yeah, we might be familiar with. It's Earth. <laughs> And the Zensuni are basically a splinter group in Earth. This is still Future Earth, by the way. We're not talking like 2009, right? Right. So, in a couple hundred years in the future, let's say, the Zensuni are a, a a splinter group that broke off from this religion that was following this prophetic figure named Mao Meth. Yeah. And Ma- Maometh Mao Meth was considered somewhat like the third. Mohammed, so the Prophet Muhammad, he was like
1: a messiah. Right?
0: Yeah, uh, definitely a messiah. And uh, uh, the my assumption here is that Muhammad and the religion that Muhammad was leading was very Islamic in nature, or, or at least had many of its roots in Islam. And we, we'll see that throughout the Sunni culture, and we'll see that even bleed into Fremen culture in the future. This very Arabic Islamic base. Uh, so the zinsuni are actually people who broke off from Maometh's religion. And they develop their own teachings and doctrines under the leadership of someone named Ali Ben-Ohashi. A little factoid here. Some reports indicate that uh, his doctrines that he wrote, this new Zen Sunni doctrine that broke off from Mahometh, uh might have actually just been authored by his second wife, Nisai Ben-Ohashi.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so uh, more power to her.
1: Yeah, hashtag feminism.
0: Yeah. And and now I'm starting to question, who actually wrote Dune, Frank? <laughs> it was, was it
1: Beverly? Frank's second wife. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so the Zen Sunni effectively here break off from this religion, thanks to the, uh, the this doctrine written down by Nisai Ben-Ohashi. And their culture is, like I was saying earlier, very much adapts from two uh, sort of modern cultures that we know today. One, Islam, of course. Uh, That's where sort of the Sunni part comes from. Sunni in modern times is a sect of Islam. There's Sunni and Shia. Sunni is the larger of the sects. And then the other part of their name, Zen, comes from Buddhism, sort of the Zen philosophy. And uh, of course, that's reflected in their name, the Zen Sunni. But that's also sort of what their culture ends up adapting. And that's sort of their roots.
1: It's worth mentioning that the way the uh, encyclopedia frames this is that some scholars, quote-unquote, believe that this is sort of the origin of the name. But I, there there are no other explanations for where this name comes from. And it seems almost, when you start looking at the culture and the practices and the philosophies of the Zensuni people, it seems almost yeah. heavy-handedly obvious. Right,
0: right. Yeah, a little, a little on the nose.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they believed, and again, when we're talking about this idea of extremeness, the Zen Sunni believe they owed absolutely zero allegiance to any secular government ever. (laughs) I'm there with them. Yeah, you know, I'm getting there. (laughs) So they they preferred to live these sort of tribal nomadic lives um, and often ended up in these sort of harsh, isolated environments away from dense governed areas like city centers, like an area, and I, I think this is even mentioned in the encyclopedia right this this uh, like in the sahara desert Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. harsh unforgiving and again kind of an on-the-nose precursor to (laughs) times to come uh (laughs) right but this this idea of they are extremely devout religious practitioners and they do not believe in owing any form of allegiance to government
0: yeah and and particularly secular government
1: yes absolutely so really two very very important things to know about them as we move into their journey from their their totally willing journey (laughs) yeah i was gonna say journey
0: that's the word you're going with yeah
1: their vacation (laughs) from (laughs) their fun and the sun no they uh their their forceful removal from old terra which comes at sort of an you know, inevitably, when you when we think about discovering planets, this is a way that it could be handled. But I thought this was so interesting in the encyclopedia, yeah. this sort of gifting of habitable planets.
0: Yeah, super interesting stuff. And I'll try to again boil down a double-columned, many-paged explanation <laughs> yeah. from the encyclopedia into just a couple of minutes here. But so now that we've established, like, this is Sunni culture. This is sort of their origin. This is what their this is where they came from on old Terra now let's move into the phase of like their migration their journey and this is a this is a period of time where humanity is expanding out into the universe colonizing other planets and there's something you don't really think about when you when we talk about sci-fi and other planets how do you get people there right you need a workforce on that planet how do you get people to colonize like right i don't know about you leo but like i'm not up and rearing to go to mars anytime soon like (laughs) i'm comfortable here on earth i like the gravity
1: (laughs) and like that's number one on my list too yeah gravity (laughs) it's like things i love about earth man that's sweet sweet gravity uh, that's sweet
0: sweet gravity (laughs) look you know when i drop something i know it's gonna fall
1: it's reliable old faithful (laughs) is what we call it
0: (laughs) (laughs) so This idea of um, colonizing a planet is really interesting. And the issue that a lot of houses in the Imperium run into is when they—let's say you discover a new planet, and it's lush, and there's plenty of farmland, and it's definitely a planet that you could profit off of. How do you get your people there? Well, that's expensive. Colonizing a planet is expensive. So what a lot of houses ended up doing is when they discovered a planet, they would quote-unquote gift it to the emperor— Right. And relinquish all responsibility of it.
1: Now, I read that there was a, like a finder's fee or like that the Empire would like reward them for giving planets.
0: Yes, that too. So there was a little cash money involved.
1: Yeah. So they like dodged the bullet of having to supply a workforce and like move a ton of their civilians to this shitty uninhabited planet. But also they like got some money and then didn't have the responsibility anymore. But yeah, exactly. Now the government, now the Empire has the responsibility.
0: Right. And you at this point you might be thinking, wait a second. The government's going to pay to have to deal with all of this work of put, setting up a new planet? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. See, the government can do something called draft people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You heard of it? <laughs> so, this actually totally works out for the emperor, right? Like other houses who don't want to deal with setting up a whole new planet, you just pay them a nominal fee now you have you just got a f- planet right and it's under your control and it's a way of again expanding your imperial power uh and you know a working with the houses in like almost a non-combative way to earn more and more planets it, it puts the impetus of like you guys discover them, I will pay for them because i'm rich as fuck i'm the emperor so yeah it it actually totally works out for the emperor and because he's the emperor he can do something that he did on the planet poritrin so poritrin is an an example of a planet that was discovered by a house who didn't want to deal with the responsibility of populating it so they gift it to the emperor and the emperor decides okay cool let's populate this planet With two million people from Old Terra. So he goes to the governor of Old Terra and demands that the governor give him two million people to help colonize this new planet, Poratrin, that he uh, was just gifted.
1: The residents of Old Terra have been effectively immune from this draft process because Old Terra is like the cradle of humanity. And there's a sort of reverence for this planet and the people on the planet. but this fucking emperor comes along uh this is emperor elrude the fifth is like you know what enough's enough let's get some old terrans and not just some of them you said the number two million people which is like a (laughs) baffling number of people to just suddenly lose and the governor is and this is always the case right the governor's in a shitty place because he has to now select a number of people and say hey Congratulations, (laughs) Congratulations, <laughs> you get to go to a planet that no one wants, <laughs> right? And now this is also like a a people. The old Terran population is a is a people who have never had to deal with this draft right. reality before. Like ima-
0: imagine the unrest. Imagine the imagine the protests that the governor is potentially facing. Right, uh, but he he comes up with a pretty creative workaround. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <He's>, <laughs> flex tape. Uh, he, <laughs> he uh we're talking about Baron Mickerel, who is the the sort of planetary governor, is in this crappy situation, but he figures out a kind of creative solution utilizing this kind of thorn in his side, the Zensuni people
0: right, right. Remember a couple of minutes ago when we said there was a whole group of people who owed no thought they owed no allegiance to any government
1: governments hate that. <laughs>
0: Governments <laughs> don't like that. <laughs> yeah. So Mikrel here is like, Baron Mikrel is like, yo, okay, 2 million people. How about I make all 2 million of those, these annoying Zen Sunni on my planet who already think they don't owe any allegiance to me. So he killed two birds with one stone there. Yeah. He completed his obligation to the emperor and provided actually over than 2 million. There were more than 2 million Zen Sunni. It
1: was like two and a half, right? Yeah. Something like that.
0: So he he overachieved. That made the emperor extra happy kind of a stroke of genius if an evil one right right but he he forces these two and a half a million zensuni people to uproot from old terra and dumps them on Poritrin, and they have to start their lives anew
1: now it's not all super bad because poratrin for what it's worth was like a lush very easily cultivated planet yeah that they very quickly began to turn around in a really big way yeah and you know, it's described as a soft planet and they are able to, much easier than, say, living in the Sahara Desert, <laughs> they now have this f- almost free time as they're growing their culture. And this is across, as all things in Dune, this is across hundreds of years and like multiple generations and so. Yes. Yep. In yep. this free time, their religious leaders and the Sayadina, the oral storytellers and history keepers of their people, start working their doctrines and start reworking and cultivating their kind of myths and philosophies and, you know, superstitions and beliefs while they're on this planet. And within not a long time, there are Zen Sunni people being born on Portrin with the absolute belief that Poratrin is their home world, where the Zen Sunni people began. Right. And this is really important because they don't stay on Poratrin forever. Spoiler alert, they're going to go somewhere else, as as we all kind of know. But this story of a people displaced from their home is now redoable. They have a new chance to be displaced from their home because now they have a new home. And this isn't just, oh, this is the house we live in now. For a lot of Zinsuni, Portrin is their originating spot in the... In the cosmos right, this is right the origin of the zinsuni
0: yeah think think back to our theme manipulation the psi dna here decide okay we got kicked off old tarot whatever let's change our culture or in our, in our oral traditions and uh, uh, sort of our myths and legends and make poetry in our home and of course this happens over generations we're not talking like next next week the saidina <laughs> club got together and decided like let's erase all the history books yeah. this this happened over hundreds yeah. and hundreds of years many many generations and over this time these new zensuni you could even call them these like sort of quote unquote soft zensuni because they've now lived on this lush beautiful pl- water rich planet they very quickly start forming Communities and towns, they drop their nomadic lifestyle that they were living in places like the Sahara Desert on Old Terra. Over these generations, they they abandoned many of their old sort of nomadic, tough, independent ways and built this new, softer (laughs) lifestyle.
1: And they expected, with these towns and these settlements, there's a clear demonstration in their beliefs that they expected to be on this planet for a long time. And the new mythos created by the Sayadina was that the Sunni would be on this planet, Poratrin, forever, <laughs> until they've answered these sort of thousand religious questions of, of existence, uh, which, which has a, a name that I'm forgetting at this moment. But they, they'll be on this planet until they're ready for this final migration to their end point the holy land you know the, yeah
0: the, the promised land i mean this is like a story that's told in many major religions right like the, this idea of a displaced people right. who will earn their right to a promised land yeah. at the end of the tunnel and and that's that's similar to the to the myth that the saidina are are telling these zensuni who who are now calling poetry in their home
1: and it works perfectly they're there forever and totally comfortable and the story's over right yeah
0: the end okay we'll see you on the next episode of gone oh, yeah. yeah,
1: thanks for <laughs> listening
0: <laughs> uh absolutely not what happens uh <laughs> the reality is that these new sensuni begin to get very comfortable on this planet and in the year 4492 the motherfucking Sardacar show up Ugh. heard of them heard of them Two episodes ago. Three episodes, maybe? I'm losing track. So the car show up in 4492, and these raiders decide that the Zensuni need to be moved once again. And the reason for that is because House Alexan decides they really like trend. That's it's That's nice. a good property. Yeah. It's worth a lot. Look at it. It's beautiful beautiful absolutely beautiful so house Lexin is like yo we want to move into portrait can you get these dibs <laughs> dibs <laughs> and can you can you move these pesky zensuni uh, out of here so annoying so annoying so the sardau <laughs> do just that they show up these raiders show up and through a, so it's not just all bloodshed it's a mix of some military conflicts of relocating the zensuni right but a lot of it is actually Feeding into this myth that, Leo, you just explained, this idea that once we have answered these thousand philosophical religious questions, we will be ready for the f- next and final step of our journey to the promised land. The raiders fed into that myth and convinced many Zensuni to come voluntarily.
1: Oh, my God. Am I sensing today's theme? You are you are sensing today's theme of manipulation (laughs) oh manipulation that's the theme Ah! that's that's what they're doing right now that sucks yeah so it's like hey yo you good job
0: you passed the quiz thousand questions answered right me mr (laughs) raider let me take you to the promised land come with me don't worry about the don't worry about the shackles
1: no ulterior motives (laughs) yeah exactly
0: exactly so, so it's a mix of that. There, there are some resistant Zensuni, of course, who are like, "Wait, we don't want to leave." Uh, but then it's also a mix of feeding into the myth and convincing a large portion of them to come. So the Zensuni are divided into two other planets where they're sent. One is a planet called Beta
1: Tegus. This is a word that I have nightmares about. <laughs> Just looked at and decided, yeah. nope. Just we're going to say it <laughs> wrong. But listen. We here at Gamjabar are nothing if not bold. <laughs> Beta Tegus. Beta
0: Tegus. So half the Zensuni population is sent to Beta Tegus, and the other half of this Poratrin population is sent to a little property, Leo, you might have
1: heard of? Which one? Salusa Secundus? Oh, shit. That place sucks. <laughs> That's that planet, it's the worst planet. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs>
0: so uh, the Zensuni are once again sort of displaced their people are forced out like you have to assume families are split here right yeah 100 like someone's cousin ended up on seleucus Uh and, and that's heart- heartbreaking to
1: think it's heartbreaking and also bear in mind a lot of the Zensu. so so some of the Zensuni are sort of swept away with this manipulation of yeah this is where this is the pilgrimage yay cool but there are a lot of Zensuni who believe one hundred percent that they originated on Portran, That this is literally their homeworld. Yes. And man, I mean, Beta to Goose is not terrible. It's kind of a an okay place. Seleucus secundus
0: A downgrade. <laughs> so down, downgrade
1: yeah that's
0: they were in just... business class and the only seats that were open were the fucking cargo hold
1: was being shot out of the airplane into a volcano <laughs> <laughs> the only they went from business class to being thrown into the engines of the plane so not great
0: not great at all yeah. So, if stage one of the of the Zensuni migration was Poratrin, their displacement from Old Terra to Poratrin, stage two is Beta Tigus and Salusa, and this chapter of the Zensuni uh, migration is. Uh, where things get start to go not great. So Seleucus Secundus, of course, is horrible. We we did an extremely in-depth deep dive on the Sardaukar and Seleucus Secundus in a previous episode. So I don't think we'll hammer too hard on that today. But right. suffice it to say, Seleucus Secundus, horrible planet.
1: Most people die. Yeah, death rate of people on that planet is absurd. Yeah, yeah, It's
0: crazy. And imagine being someone who's not even native to that planet and just showing up. Like, the death rate among your people is going to be absolutely wild. But... We know the Zensuni are a fiercely independent and adaptable group. And so they adapt on Seleucus Secundus. And in
1: fact really quickly too. Very quickly. Within a generation or two, they were almost matching native Seleucus Secundus residents in their survival ratings.
0: Yeah, as far as, like, survival rate. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And they revert back yeah. to many of their older yeah, tradition, yeah. like nomadic traditions, their fiercely independent and self-reliant traditions. That, that is what they have to do on Seleuza Secundus to survive. And they do it. They're the Zensuni. They're adaptable. They Whatever is thrown at them, they will figure it out. And they do. And over the next couple of generations, uh, they become... Quite the thorn in the side of the Sardaukar and the Emperor. The Sardaukar attempt many times to assimilate or convert the Zensuni into their people. The Zensuni are like, nope, fuck you. The the Emperor tries to, you know, squash any sort of rebellion and again, assimilate, sort of wash out the Zensuni and just make them Sardaukar proper. No, the Zensuni continue to be this annoying thorn in the side of the Sardaukar and the Emperor.
1: Super quick anecdote. As part of this attempt to convert and like use the strength of this Zen Sunni people who are demonstrating that they're super resilient, there were instances of Zen Sunni people being like, Sure, I'll join the Sardaukar.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, this is good. Yeah. And
1: then they are trained and they're doing great. And the Sardaukar are like, wow, I guess they're really serious about this whole Sardaukar yeah. thing.
0: They're like, they're like drinking buddies with Joe the Sardaukar and everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Joe Sartakar. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're they're like drinking, they're hanging out, they're like doing all the things, and they're like, well, these guys, they're they're one of us. That's great. Okay, time for weapons training. So they like pass out weapons, and then just immediately <laughs> the Zen Sunni kills everyone <laughs> in the room and then kills themselves. And it's like <laughs> I I don't mean to make light of this sort of gesture. Yeah, The Sardaukar are not blameless victims in all of this. So to see this subjugated, imprisoned, powerless, quote-unquote, population of displaced travelers hitting back in that vicious, kind of incredible way. Like Joe. That Bud Light we shared meant nothing. They have Budweiser Light on Seleucus Secundus?
0: They have exclusively... Bud Light Lime on Seleucus Secundus. Oh, that is the
1: worst planet. <laughs> the worst of all beers. <laughs> Today, very clearly not sponsored by Bud Light Lime.
0: <laughs> you can't get anything else on tap. It's just fountains of That's Bud Light the Lime. fucking
1: worst. Wow. I'd rather drink water. <laughs> and truly.
0: Uh Awful, uh, but the, the uh, Zensuni. So they they, sur- they survived this this Bud Light lime life, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they survive it enough to be annoying enough to the Emperor that the Emperor is just like, okay, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. This is incredibly annoying. The, my sardaukar are literally getting killed by Zensuni. I need to move them. So as a, I guess is we just do now. <laughs> Yeah. The emperor's like move these, move these guys yeah. to another planet. Get them out of here. And they do. Yeah. So these these uh Zensuni on Salusa are then transplanted once again to a planet called Ashia and we'll uh we'll return to that in a bit because we need to talk about the other half of the Zensuni from Porotrin, the ones that were sent to goose which Leo I'm just realizing I'm pretty sure I spent the entire beginning of this episode mispronouncing
1: (laughs) oh my god yeah we did (laughs) we said beta to goose okay to be fair there's a lot of planets (laughs) a lot of planets okay for the record it's bella to goose bella to goose yeah okay so it's bella to goose if you re-listen to this episode just pretend we said that earlier (laughs) right so this other chunk of Zensuni that were sent to bella to goose is on this planet which is actually kind of similar to Poratrin and over about 800 years they kind of return to their Poratrin habits of like building communities they're not really nomadic they're farming they're cultivating the land they have learned kind of a lesson about all of this on Portran, they built these like villages all over the planet just super spread out using the space enjoying the planet and that really left them open for the raiders that came so on bella Tagus, they build much more condensed kind of cities that have retaining walls and they're more guarded and they're more like set up to defend themselves against outside forces which would work if they had any concept of how powerful the sardaukar are because yeah, yeah unfortunately after about 800 years of relatively peaceful life on bella Tagose, mm-hmm. the sardaukar show up yay yeah
0: like the, their mentality here on this planet was very much like divide and relocate my people once shame on me right right and, yeah. and they were ostensibly prepared for it again but again we talked about this in our sardaukar episode no one can match the sardaukar no matter how prepared you are they are the best fighters in the galaxy and like you said they descend once again on the zensuni people here
1: the fight is pretty pathetic they it's over pretty much immediately right and the sardaukar relocate them to two places rossik and Harmanthep. And yeah. the raiders took the Zensuni from Portrin because of one reason. You know, it was going to be the home world to this house. Mm-hmm. Now there's a sort of two-pronged reason. The first reason is that these two planets uh, that they're sent to, Rossik and Harmonthep, are young. They need more working people. They need more hands on deck to, to build up the colonies. The second reason is is the Sardaukar had to kind of occasionally be used for these sort of violent means so that they wouldn't lose their edge. I also a little bit suspect that the Sardaukar need to have the reputation for they end fights immediately and they're really powerful. Right. What an, what an easy three-point shot, right?
0: Right. Like, go, go, beat, go beat up the people that have been relocated and, uh, you know, beat up multiple times for generations. Right. Like, that's an easy dunk for the Sardaukar.
1: It's a big W, just very easily won. And adds to the, again, this wasn't said in the encyclopedia, but as I was reading it, I, I saw this as a pretty clear, did they really anticipate this being like a hard fought battle? No. I don't think so. And what's another benefit to sending the Sardaukar to an easy win? Well, now the Sardaukar have one more battle that they've won undefeated. Yeah. you know,
0: builds up their myth, makes them scary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Reminds people of the power of the Sardaukar.
0: Yeah. But think about that. And we're, you know, we're sort of flippantly talking about these two reasons, but like, think about this from the Zen Sunni perspective, right? Your entire people who have already been displaced multiple times are once again, families torn apart, cities torn apart, communities torn apart just because the Sardaukar need practice. Right.
1: Terrible. Or just
0: because the Emperor's like, uh, you know, rossik and Harmantheb are doing well, but we could probably use with a couple million more people. How about we move these people again, yeah. who we know we can easily, easily move because we so overpower them. Th- that, like, makes my blood boil.
1: Yeah, it's terrible.
0: I don't think any reason would be justified, of course, but these reasons, of all reasons, are not justifications for... <laughs> these are
1: especially <laughs> shitty
0: reasons. <laughs> once again, yeah. uprooting the Zensuni and destroying their lives and it's it's this sort of persecution happens over and over and over again and the entire zensuni migration is just this cycle repeating the emperor, and the empire or the Sardaukar deciding hey these people are in our way move them or hey we need these people for slave labor for a workforce for a colony move them and the zensuni are never able to stop this they can't break this cycle uh, at least for a few more generations, it, it's pretty horrific. Like I really want to put that in perspective for us. That right. from the Zensuni perspective, every couple of generations, your people are getting absolutely torn apart yeah. and thrown into slavery or thrown onto other planets they know nothing about.
1: It, it's it's horrific. And even if individual uh, Zensuni don't remember that full path, the Cyadina do. Right. The history keepers do. The history keepers do exactly, and this narrative of this keeps happening and we're tired of it is building in a really important way, especially at this moment. Yeah. Now, as we talk about these two new planets, Rossik and Harmanthep, mm-hmm. Abu, surely all the people sent to Harmontheb do great, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's a fairy tale planet, and uh, they they, they build up beautiful communities, and uh, they're never they're never other oh, types
1: of beer not yeah. just bud light lime
0: <laughs> yeah no 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 the, the, they get they get access to wines whoa nice yeah and um, uh, for all intents and purposes i think harman Thep, uh would have been a paradise if it wasn't blown up in sixty eight hundred by unknown causes and everyone was wiped out oh no
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sucks i mean when you have you know again all of this sucks. The maybe the theme of today's episode should have been things. Yeah, not them.
0: manipulation.
1: Everything sucks. <laughs> that's a that's that's a brutal loss on an almost unimaginable scale. Right. That sucks. And Rosic is no paradise either. Right.
0: No, certainly not. So so think about this journey. That this group of Zen Sunni that we're following at the moment were previously on Old Terra generations ago. Right. Then they were on the paradise planet of Poratrin. They were kicked off of that, and they ended up at Bella Tagus, which, if not a paradise, was still it was fine. You know, yeah. it wasn't business class, but it was first class. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then now they end up on Rosik. And Rosik was harsh. Right. Maybe not as harsh as Seleucus Secundus, but it is it is a brutal, harsh planet. And the Zensuni, the people that have come to this have been, not come, have been forced to this planet barely survived the first winter. They're almost all nearly wiped out on the first winter because they as you know, as adaptable as they are, they've now spent thousands of years on two very yeah. nice planets. And suddenly they're thrown onto Rosic where they have to learn to survive or they're all about to be wiped out. So they're holding on by a threat on Rosic. They barely survived the first winter. They're trying to adapt, but many of them are are dying off quickly.
1: And there's a lot of starvation because one of the big challenges of Rosic is, is that there's this very, very short growth period where you really don't have a, a long season for growing crops. And so there's a ton of starvation. Yeah, And this sets up a lot of experimentation with eating local plant life, mm-hmm. which coincidentally sets up one of the most significant moments in the entire universe of Dune yeah. by a margin, which is when a Cyadina on the verge of starving to death, eats a known poisonous plant. She eats it because she's dying. She's, she's one of the oral storytellers of the people. She's a history keeper. She's tremendously important, and yet she takes this risk. And the risk almost pays off. But what happens is she eats this plant and immediately has access to internal genetic memory. She can remember Every Sayadina before her that, that she's descended from. Mm-hmm. And she does end up dying. She overdoses on it and descends into delirium and dies. Right. But before she does, she tells other Zensuni people about this effect. And suddenly, the, the history keepers, the Sayadina, become immeasurably valuable. To this nomadic people, right? Yeah, they they
0: become living archives of memory. Yes,
1: absolutely. L-
0: living living archives of the Zensuni history, that of course over multiple migrations and multiple planets would have changed. Like oral histories, like imagine how that oral history changes. Imagine how history is twisted and shaped, and there's no way that stays consistent. There's no way to actually know your people's history when that continues to happen. But now they do because of this poisonous plant. If they take in small doses, yeah. the saidinas are able to unlock their genetic memory and access it. And imagine what that does to to Zensuni culture. Imagine what that would do to our culture now, right? Um, like, um, for example, I was telling you this before we started recording. I just finished reading Exhalations by Ted Chang, right, which is an excellent short uh, short story collection, all all sci-fi short stories. And one of the stories is about how the written word and, like, taking history down on paper completely changed the concept of truth. Before, truth was just whatever your elders in the tribe told you. Now truth could be accessed in written archives. Totally changed culture forever. And then what this short story sort of expanded on and went into the future with in the sci-fi aspect was, what does that mean for us? In the modern world, when we're starting to sort of record and document our lives online and storage and video is becoming so easy to record, what would happen if every single person on the planet could easily access a recording of every moment of their lives from the moment they were born to the moment they die? How does that change our relationships? How does that change our concept of history and truth? Imagine that happening to the Zen Sunni.
1: Yeah, crazy.
0: That's mind-blowing. You realize... You can access the exact right. truth of your people, something you didn't have access to for generations and was modified and manipulated, again, that word, uh, over yeah. over thousands of years. It, it, this is tr- truly, I don't think we can understate how truly earth-shattering this discovery is.
1: This also, by the way, is the first instance, this Cyadina uh, eating yeah. the poisonous yeah. plant, is the first instance of what we will later refer to as a wild reverend mother, which I haven't had a chance yet to look into that term, but I guess it's just a reverend mother that occurs outside of the Benny Gesserit training.
0: Uh, yeah, that, that's my assumption as well. Yeah. Uh, TBD on our Benny Gesserit episode, which we are also very much looking forward to. We keep teasing it, but we'll get around to it eventually. A lot of research has to go into that one. Uh, but but you're totally right. So the Sayadina, when they take this plant and unlock their genetic memories, then quote-unquote graduate into what we will later in the Dune books know as the reverend mothers of the Fremen people. So this completely, once again, changes the culture of the Zensuni. And what I love about this is what the Zensuni people do with this new knowledge. Once they know their history, they can plot out their future. How incredible is that? Right. The Zensuni up to this point don't have a full picture of their displacement and the, their, their treatment by the empire and how their people have been split and transplanted. And again, these are generations and generations and generations. This isn't something they can like access in a history book. Now they can in a history, a living history archive in the Saidinas. And uh, this is a totally normal and expected response. They decide they've fucking had enough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we're done with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it, like, once they decide that they're done with that, they start planning this long-term goal to leave Rosic and they negotiate with the guild and they are effectively trying to find a home for themselves. They're trying to find a place where the the Zansuni people can go and be away from the empire and be away from all of the constant attacks by the Sardaukar and their families and communities being torn apart. They've had enough of that. They understand their history now, and they do. They negotiate with the guild, and ultimately, the young generation of Zansuni leave their sort of older parents who right. can't leave Rasik.
1: Which is also tragic.
0: That was like a single sentence in the encyclopedia that hit me so yeah. hard.
1: Yeah, it's so sad.
0: There's there's so much history and emotion behind that one sentence. The young generation left. The old generation literally sacrificed their lives and their futures, knowing that they wouldn't make it another, through another winter on Rasik for the future of the Zensuni people.
1: When you have the crazy, crippling costs of guild transportation and working with the guild to move this big group of people, you know, when they're making that decision, they have to take into consideration, we can only afford to bring this number of people. And that's heartbreaking because it's not even... Yeah, exactly to your point, and what the, the the throwaway sentence in the encyclopedia, they're not just deciding. Well, I guess we'll split the people again. Right. It's everyone we leave is going to die within a year, probably.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a truly heartbreaking sentence, and it's like you said, just a throwaway in the encyclopedia. Uh, something else that actually speaks to their community based mindset. They haven't forgotten the other Zensuni. Remember a while ago we said there were Zensuni from Salusa Secundus who went to the planet Aisha? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These Rasuk Zensuni don't forget their brethren. On the way to this new planet. So they strike a deal with the guild. Uh, the Zensuni get on a get on a guild highliner and they decide, okay, we're going to this new planet. The guild is like, We got a place for you to go. We'll take you there. On the way, they stop and they get the Zensuni from Aisha as well. They they want to rebuild their community. The, the, again, this I love this focus on like we are a people, and the choices we make collectively affect all of us. And uh, that you know that's pervasive throughout Fremen culture in the books. That comes from this Zen Sunni mentality of togetherness. And they so they uh, they stop by Aisha, They're like, "Yo, Aisha Zensuni, get in, bitches. We're going to a new planet." <laughs> and the guild drops them off in the deserts of Arrakis.
1: Which, by the way. Clutch move, picking up the people in Aisha because Aisha is like a desolate desert planet, yeah. and Aisha is referenced as sort of the training grounds upon which these incredibly tough Zinsuni who were sent there from Salusa Secundus are now learning survival methods for the desert. Combined with now the ability with because I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, but. The Sayadina who come with the younger generation from Rossik bring with them plants to continue fueling this internal genetic memory. Yeah, You you combine the powerful survival of the Zinsuni who are sent to Seleucus Secundus with the perspective of the Sayadina from Rosic, yeah. the new wild reverend mothers, and you have this incredible formula for what becomes the Freeman.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I almost imagine it's like the geeks and the jocks getting together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like these, these soft, these softer Zen Sunni, right? Together, we can survive Arrakis. <laughs> yeah. So they, like you said, they end up on Iraq Arrak- Like the guild drops them off at Arrakis. They strike a deal with the guild put us in the deep desert, keep us hidden from Imperial satellites, so it's secret. Again, they have this context now of their history. They're not about to make the same mistakes and allow the Sardacar to descend upon them. They're not about to make the same mistakes and allow the Empire to displace them once more. They strike a deal with the Guild, right. put us in the deep desert, and we will do the rest and survive and thrive here on Arrakis, however tough it may be.
1: And provide the Guild with access to spice on planet. Right. Right really a win-win and sets up it's,
0: yeah it, it's a mutually beneficial uh, agreement here
1: absolutely and it sets up the power dynamics that paul and the atreides enter into when house atreides is given dominion over arrakis
0: Okay, so this is a pretty good place to stop the conversation. In part two, Leo and I will dive into the Fremen on Arrakis and their rise and fall throughout Dune history. As always, thank you so much for listening, and as always, we'll see you on the Golden Path.